Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Mic Drop, our regularly scheduled 5 o'clock appointment Pacific Coast time to discuss the events of the day and how it's likely to shape the upcoming election cycle, which, of course, is the 2024 presidential election cycle. Welcome to it, guys. It started already, right? Just just when you thought you might have some time for a little bit of a break, a little bit of rest, they drag you back into this political environment and say, hey, no, we're going to start the presidential campaign uh, right away. Give me a quick thumbs up if you guys can hear me. We'll get going. I just want to make sure that I'm not talking to myself. There we go. There's the mic droppers. Um, to everybody who um, is new to this, let me just say welcome. This is a great community of uh, people who regularly join to kind of discuss politics. I kind of walk through what I'm seeing through my perspective, reach out to those of you who want to ask questions and or offer insight, especially from local states. We had a really phenomenal crew, uh, people from Georgia, people from North Carolina, people from Arizona, people from Pennsylvania, giving us some really keen on the ground insight, which actually proved quite correct. So uh, this show is a little bit different. This is a call-in show, the call-in app. If you are not subscribing to Mic Drop, the best way to be engaged with us is to just subscribe to the show. And then I can give you just kind of a quick notice as the show's about to start. You'll get a notification on your phone. And if you're available and want to listen to the discussion while you're going through Twitter or while you're paying bills or whatever it is that you're doing, uh, we'd love to have you. Um, like always, uh, we're all trying to build the community out here. It does help me quite a bit with the show. If you can share on the app what's going on, um, that's really helpful. Uh, share it on social media. A lot of you guys do that for me. It really helps improve both the algorithm and the size and quality, quantity and quality of the show. Nice to, to get new callers into the queue. Um, you can get this podcast and its recordings after it's live. I think you guys know that now, too, if you subscribe to the show or if you're familiar with the Colin app. You can pick up and listen to this edition or previous editions. A lot of people have been doing that, getting a lot of great feedback on some of the predictions that we made that ultimately came true. Uh, we talked about Stacey Abrams' race early on, some of the fundamentals with me saying she's probably there's no way she's going to get there, some of the criticisms about Beto O'Rourke. I think you guys learned quite a little bit of, uh, more about that race so that when you saw what happened in some of the post-mortem, you guys uh, were noticing that the debate between whether or not he should have been in rural counties or urban counties was exactly what the criticism of the campaign was. We were talking about that here on Mike Drop back in June and July, um, and we were talking about the movement of the races and the movement in the polls. And um, I, my predictions were off a little bit in the House. I think I was saying high teens for the Republicans. Looks like it's going to be mid to high single digits. Um, predictions on the Democrat uh, uh, um, balance in the Senate. I think I was off by one. And I'll take that. It's probably one of my actually one of my better uh, years. It's really, really hard to come within 10 in the House on any year. Now, having said that, I think most prognosticators were only about 10 points off because the, the polls were so damn close. And we're not going to talk about this too much in this episode. Maybe it's the episode for another day. But, guys, with the exception of those crazy right-wing polls that were coming in and flooding the zone at the end, the polling was really, really, really freaking accurate. I think New York Times Siena poll uh, was, like, dead on, like bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. So, um, you know. Uh, a grain of truth out there. You got to be focused on um, on kind of the facts and the evidence. That's kind of what we try to do here. Sift through some of that noise. Look at some of the fundamentals. I'm learning from you. Uh, the nature of this this industry is changing. Uh, I make no qualms about that. Uh, I'll tell you where I was wrong. 
on some of these things. And um, you tell me where I was wrong on some of these things, too. I have no problem with being called out on that. I'm here to learn, too. Uh, campaigning again, like society is changing, the industry is changing, but I'm also going to tell you where I was right. And the reason why is because it builds confidence that when you're looking at a lot of these races, not just this last cycle, not just in 2020, in the time we've gotten to know each other, but going forward, you're able to say, that's not what we should be looking at, right? That's the noise that Mike's talking about that makes me all rattled. And I don't understand what that means and what's happening there. When you get a clearer understanding of what's going on, brings this little sense of calm and a little bit of certainty into uh, wild election cycles, which frankly are designed by the media to get us all, all strung out and hopped up because it's addicting. Um, that fear that and anger is actually addictive behavior that um, has been monetized. We've turned it into, we've turned it into a business. And I say we, because the political consulting class is very, A, a sense and amounts of, of anxiety. That's by design. That is literally by design. That That's how news sources monetize. That's how websites get clicks. That's how candidates get attention. I think that's how Trump actually um, turned politics on his head in 2016, as he recognized that that was what was going on in society far, far before uh, po the political professional class was able to make that adjustment. Political consultants, by the way, we are we are lagging indicators. This is not an innovative industry. We are always four, five, six years behind the professional marketers, the professional advertisers, the professional researchers who are driving society's trends because we're not looking quarter by quarter, right? We're looking election cycle to election cycle. So we're looking out to two years for what's coming next. Most industries, most tech companies are looking uh, in the next 90-day window. And as a result, we, you know, we're, we're usually caught flat-footed on a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's just, that's just the honest truth. So uh, the, this show today is about Trump's announcement. We're going to talk about what that is, what that means, what that's going to mean for both the Republican Party and what it means for the 2024 election cycle. It's here. Like I said, welcome to it. Um, let me talk about Trump. <clears throat> um, I think a lot of you guys wrote and, and heard my uh, hit on NPR today, on NPR 1A. Uh, I was talking about the announcement and the fact that this is not uh, your your 2016 Donald Trump, uh, and I want to talk about why because I don't I don't it, look he's aged he's six years older and when you're hitting that part of your life cycle when you're staring down 80, um, I don't know why the hell you would want to be president at at 80 uh, unless you're trying to stay out of jail. I mean I guess which which is clearly you know one one of the one of the check marks on the on the on the on the you know do I or don't I list that he and Melania probably went over. Um, but look, the, the other part is there was an attempt, clearly, clearly there was an attempt by his advisors, the Jason Millers, the Stephen Millers, the whoever, to try to make Donald Trump look as presidential as possible, presumably to remind people that Donald Trump um, is a serious person, is a uh, person who... Uh, has been in the Oval Office before, who's ready to go from day one, and I think to probably offset some of the challenge that he's facing uh, potentially from the right. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more in just a second. Um, I think that was a big mistake. I think the idea of um, trying to put Donald Trump in a room with the flags and drapery 
behind him and reading off of a teleprompter and trying to sound like he was at the first State of the Union, right? 95% on script was a terrible uh, decision that took Donald Trump's strengths away from him. Donald Trump is at his best when he is extemporaneous. He is at his worst when he is reading off of a teleprompter. Okay, you got to know that. And when you when you're at his rallies, he uses that teleprompter as a guideline to bring him back to get to the end of the speech. But where he loves to be and where he, his people love him being is when he's talking that nonsense. When he's you know when he says that stupid stuff. When when it, when when the the the, 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 the canned speeches. Um, you know, they 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 contain him. They contain most politicians, by the way, too much. But but especially in this environment, especially in in his element, which is when he is around people that um that that can be overly enthusiastic. And let me say this even more so. <clears throat> by the way, go ahead and jump into the queue if you've got questions. Get let's get lined up now, so that we can kind of start the discussion. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go on my diatribe for a little bit. Don't don't worry. I'm not going to start bringing you up to the queue now. But if you've got questions about this or anything, go ahead and jump into the queue. Uh, but my other point was, look, the, the Republicans had a bad night Tuesday night. And what they really needed was they needed a cheerleader. They needed somebody to say to get in there and say, if I had been on the ballot, I'm the guy who turns people out. I'm the guy who energizes the base. You can't do this without me. Let's go get them the way that we have before in the past in 2016 when we won and no one thought we could. And then he, you know, going to his election denying bullshit about 2020. That's the speech he needed to give. He needed to give a stem winder. He needed to give a barn burner. He needed to give that rally when 30,000 people show up in the middle. Probably, probably the worst speech I've seen Donald Trump give. And not just, not just, uh, you know, certain, certainly not in terms of content. He said far worse shit than he said at Mar-a-Lago. But in terms of energy and positioning, this is a guy who gave such a bad speech that I believe very firmly anybody who was kind of wavering about getting into the race has got to be taking a serious look at this now. I tweeted this out yesterday saying he looked like a, a wounded gazelle on the plains of the Serengeti where the jackals are looking at him and the vultures are circling above and all of the predators that, you know, are are, are looking for a, a wounded creature to feast on now have their eyes set on him. If he gave if he gave an energetic stem winding speech last night, if he gave the speech that he should have given. DeSantis would have said pass. And I said, I think 48 hours ago, I said, there's no, Ron DeSantis isn't going to get in this race. I talked with, with uh, Conway about this, George Conway. Conway, by the way, wrote a great piece in the Washington Post today. If you haven't read it, read it about why he's running and probably why he was such low energy, right? His rationale, Donald Trump's rationale for running in 2024 is very different than it was in 2016 and very different in 2020. His whole purpose, his whole mission, his whole passion, his whole reason 
for running is completely and entirely different. Well, his whole motivation, the whole structure of his motivation is completely different. Okay, he's looking at 2024 to stay out of jail, to maintain relevance and to keep whatever he can possibly keep a hold of. He's trying not to lose. Okay, and anybody who follows sports in any way, in any way, shape or form, any sport, if you're playing not to lose, your back's against the wall. Nine times out of ten, you're going to slip further. You're not going to advance. you got to be playing offense, and politics is absolutely a game where you want to always be on offense. Okay, There are times when you need to take a breather, take a step out, when your enemy's in the process of destroying himself. You don't want to get in the middle of that, but that's different than playing defense. Okay, Offense is almost always the best strategy, and every political consultant, that doesn't mean we're always right, but every political consultant is going to have an offensive strategy under any situation. If you don't believe me, ask Herschel Walker after that first abortion story in the Daily Beast blew up. What did they do? They doubled down and they went right at it. His kid comes out three hours later and says, dad's a bad guy. What do they do? They keep going at it. Offense, 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 offense. That's how you command the narrative. And if you're commanding the narrative, you're winning the race. That was the key to Donald Trump's success in 2016. Donald Trump was able to command the offensive narrative in the way I have never seen a politician do in 2016. Shameless, completely shameless, never seen a politician completely shameless like that either, but offensively could drive the narrative at any given moment. You couldn't take your eyes off of him. Didn't matter what he was saying. He was saying it in the eyes of the world made him the candidate that everybody else was running against and nobody had the capacity to break through it until the Lincoln Project did it, turn the tables on him, but we'll get to that you know, maybe later. The point is, that's not what Donald Trump was doing last night. Probably the longest speech he's ever given, by the way. It was well over an hour. People were trying to leave. They wouldn't let him you know, leave. You know, couldn't go to the bathroom. There were lines forming in the back. People were done. These are his most ardent supporters. People just, they were, they were done. They didn't want to hear it. And they couldn't leave. Why couldn't they leave? Because there were cameras there that were seeing this. And if you had people emptying out. Live, some of the outlets were panning and showing empty seats. And they showed a lot of people sitting down, which you don't think of at a Trump rally. Right. And so finally he acknowledges and says, why don't you all sit down? Why? Because most of them were sitting down anyway. Donald Trump doesn't want people sitting down. He wants people standing up. That's the imagery you want. That's the visual you want. So either either one of two things. And then I have heard I have heard that the deal he cut with his advisors, because all of his advisors were saying, wait till after Georgia, because Herschel Walker's going to lose this race. And if Trump jumps in and Walker loses, who are they going to blame? Who's the Republican Party going to blame? It ain't going to be Herschel Walker. It's going to be Donald Trump. Now, the chances of him winning, I mean, there's there. It's there. But I'm going to put it at, you know, it's early yet. And we're going to have to look at the numbers. But I, I, like, I've always said I think the fundamentals benefit Warnock in this race. You guys that have been listening, I've always said that. I think that he probably, in a, in, a, in a different night, Warnock probably could have won um, outright if, if, if Abrams were stronger. But I've gone through the demographics and the groups as to why Abrams wasn't. But if she was closer, I mean, she, she got 
She got beat good. Lost by like eight points. Like that's that's a beatdown in politics. That's not close. Okay, that that's 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 not close. Especially when she was within like what less than half of a percent four years ago. I mean, it's just not a good look for Stacey Abrams. Let's let's leave her alone. I mean, God God bless you, Stacey. I'm sure there's a place for you. It's just you were not particularly helpful in this election cycle. Having said that, I believe that Trump gets blamed for um for for a Walker loss. Now, <clears throat> and I mentioned this earlier, maybe it was the last episode. When you have the American Enterprise Institute, which is the conservative policymaking think tank, the, the Heritage and AEI are the main ones. And when you have Fox News, Rupert Murdoch basically saying Trump's time is over, it's done. New York Post saying Trumpy Dumpty's you know, had a big fall, he's done, it's over, we're moving on. And when you have the U.S. Chamber that's basically already said during the Trump era, we're going to be backing Democrats if we have to. We're not for these America first protectionist policies, right? These are U.S. corporations. These are the big dogs. These guys are the ones that make their money by manufacturing or have markets overseas. They're not into protectionism, man. This is not 1920. It didn't work out well in 1920, by the way. Let us know Great Depression protectionism. But this Stephen Miller idea of America first bullshit, it's, it, 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 it's, it's proven to not work. American corporations know this. But what I'm trying to get at is when the media, the money, and the policy arms of the Republican Party are all basically saying we're not with Trump, you have to at least pause and take a listen. Okay, I'm not saying that the Republican Party and the Republican establishment would not rally back again behind Donald Trump the way they did in 2016. I believe that they will. I believe that the overwhelming majority of Republican voters will. I don't think enough will. I think all things being equal, which they're not, and we'll get to this in a second with Biden and who possibly runs on the Democratic side, but all things being equal, Trump loses by a much wider margin than he did in 2020. Now, 2020 was close, right? And the Republicans, we were able to move that Bannon line number. If you look at that 4 or 5%, which we were hitting, you look at Maricopa County, it was 11% plus of Republicans moving over from uh, Kerry Lake to Katie Hobbs. It's a pretty big defection, okay? And in fact, we've covered this a little bit before. The electorate, and I just tweeted this out right before we started the show, Right before we started the show, I put this out. The electorate was whiter, older, and more Republican. If this was a popular vote election, Republicans would have won at least the vote count. There were more Republicans who showed up and voted than Democrats on on Tuesday night. So again, as we parse through some of the bullshit narrative that's being driven out there, this idea that there was a youth quake that it was the young people of America that saved us. I mean, God bless them for showing up. I think it's great. They showed up in the top one or two or three, not one, but not two, but I think one of the, you know, towards the higher end range historically, towards the higher end range historically of what uh, youth voters did. And they broke overwhelmingly Democrat. That's great news. But they weren't overperforming the model. It's not like they showed up and nobody else did, right? That's this sense is if you're following Twitter and all these, you know, you know, youth, Folks saying Gen Z saved America. I mean, God bless you for believing that. It's great that they're involved and engaged, but the, the math just does not prove that true. They were an important part of the coalition, okay, as were 20 other different factions in the coalition, but it wasn't young people, okay? It wasn't young people. The most significant factor, if you add up and do the math, if you have an 11% 
of Republicans. You're talking about tens of thousands of Republicans that were crossing across that red line and voting for Democrats. That, that, that's what won the election. There were more Republican voters than Democrats on Tuesday night. Let me say it again. There are more Republican voters than Democrats, and Democrats had a really good night. It doesn't, how, how else can you explain that? Like, the math is not that complicated, okay? And it's important because politicians are going to do what politicians do, which is they're going to spin their own narrative to protect themselves and advance their own interests within the party. It's not just that Democrats do that. Republicans do that. Independence does that. Everybody does it. That's what politics is. But that's also why we have a scientific-based understanding of what happened. And when we look at and say there were more Republicans who voted than Democrats, I mean, come on. It's, it's pretty obvious what happened here. And that you're going to hear these excuses. Well, there were a lot of uncontested House seats. So? Democrats don't vote when they don't have a House candidate, maybe not the same numbers, but enough to sway the national outcome of the most contentious race midterms in, in, in recent history? I don't think so. I mean, that just doesn't hold water. It just doesn't make any sense. So, look, Trump, let me get back to Trump. Trump gives a horrible speech. The institutions of the Republican establishment have found their spine for the moment. We all know how this plays out. But remember, Donald Trump has lost, some people are saying three of the last four elections. I'm going to say four of the last four, right? Donald Trump lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton. It's not a winning combination. Now, true, Republicans have lost seven of the last eight national contests, and they're probably going to lose the popular vote in this next one and make it eight out of nine. But let's not say that Donald Trump was a winner, at least in the hearts and minds of the majority of Americans. He's never been there. He never pulled over 50% while he was president of the United States. He never had higher than 50% approval rating, ever, not once, not even Rasmussen or Trafalgar or any of these bullshit polls that you see. None of them are showing this stuff, okay? The 2018 midterms come, and he has a historic, historic ass-kicking. Lost 50 seats for the Republicans. Then he loses in 2020. So badly, he's got to go out there and deny it and lie about it and make that the whole case. And so whether or not you believe Donald Trump won or lost to all these Republican fools who back him up, to Kerry Lake, the Mehmet Oz, the Mastrianos, the J.D. Vances, the, the Herschel Walkers, the you know you name it, you run on it, right? Not a single election denier won for Secretary of State. Not one. Democrats basically sweep against Donald Trump's candidates. He has a horrible night. Okay, so let's talk about this dynamic. Let's talk about this fact that Donald Trump is in a very weakened position. He's in the weakest spot right now that he's been in since January 6th after he led an insurrection to overthrow this country. And he's also in a weaker position uh, than any time up until the nomination of him as the presidential nominee for the Republican Party in 2016. Other than that, he's had free. The, the, the sec, I'm going to say the third time where you are hearing in a situation, a time that matters where Republicans are openly speaking against him. Remember, the first time Ted Cruz was on the floor of the convention, tells all of his delegates. Ted Cruz came in second for the nomination. Let's not forget that. At his speech, he said, vote your conscience, which was a slap in the face at Donald Trump on the floor of the National Convention, a complete slap in the face. He was basically saying, don't vote for this guy. Let's throw this to a floor vote, okay? 
And then what happens is Donald Trump walks out of there completely and overwhelmingly consolidates the Republican base and has this crazy-ass run all the way up until he tries to overthrow the government. He leads this mob, angry mob, to, to overthrow the Electoral College vote. And then what happens? He, um, he gets called out by both Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> by Kevin McCarthy and, uh, and Mitch McConnell. Kevin realizes he made a terrible mistake. I think I've made a terrible mistake. And he gets onto the plane and goes back to Mar-a-Lago and bends the knee and kisses the ring and preserves his status as a Republican leader for at least the moment. And that takes us into this really weird environment of the midterms. And then quantifiably, again, for the third time, Trumpism gets its ass kicked, shows itself to be a net loser, in large part because the Republican Party uh, sees uh, defections at a historic range. And what I mean by historic range is I have not looked back at, at Gerald Ford's run against Jimmy Carter after Watergate. But my strong suspicion is that was probably the last time you saw uh, this type of um, hemorrhaging of Republicans from the GOP Tuesday night. Okay, What won the race for Democrats, I'm going to say it here quantifiably, I'm going to say it again, the most significant piece of the coalition that held uh, the, the, the floodwaters, the dam from breaking against the Democrats were Republicans. Let me say it one more time. The good night that was had by Democrats was because of Republican voters, was not because of the youth voters, was not because of Gen Z, was not because of Latino voters who actually came down, was not because of black voters that actually came down. The electorate was older, it was whiter, and it was more Republican than 2020, and I think 2018, okay? So as all these Democrats are you know, beating your chest, that's, that's fantastic. You ought to be. I, I, I am. I'm euphoric about it. I feel better now than I did a week after November 2020 after we beat Donald Trump, be honest with you. I'm, I'm hopeful because I realize that there's finally some freaking Republicans who figured out that the, the country's on the brink. I mean, it took, what, 120 elections? Thank God, 11% of Republicans bailed. I mean, they showed up in higher numbers, but they bailed. So that's, I think, what we need to be focused on. That's where I'm at with Donald Trump. And if I'm Ron DeSantis, by the way, i got to be taking a really good look at this. I didn't believe 48 hours ago that he would. There was no reason for Ron DeSantis to get into this race. But this speech was so bad. This talk was so bad. This announcement was probably the worst presidential announcement. Pence, if you are Larry Hogan, you are taking a really, really, really good look at this race because the next six weeks don't get better for Donald Trump. They get worse. Okay. Garland's coming with indictments by the end of the year. Now, I know there's a lot of Garland haters. I think it's the weirdest freaking thing I've ever seen. It's like I think the the, the resistance Twitter, the, 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 the really deep in the weeds kind of left social activisms, activists who really want uh, you know his head um have had this weird this really freaking weird conspiracy thing about merrick garland like 
he's in the tank for Donald Trump or like he's he's compromised. Uh, no, I watch what happens, guys. Watch what happens. I think it, once once the Jenga piece is pulled, the whole tower is going to start collapsing. And I know that you feel like you have been hearing that for a long time. The truth of the matter is, um, because of the existential threat that Donald Trump has posed to the, to the republic, I agree with you um, that we needed to move as fast and expeditiously as possible. But it's far, far more important to get this right than it is to get this fast. Okay? So, Republicans clinched the House today. They officially take over as the majority party. We'll talk about those dynamics in a bit, but I do want to talk about J6. Okay? J6 now is going to become shelved in the house there is some attorney general that does also also does not mean that the republicans aren't going to ob- try to obstruct that investigation i think they absolutely will both publicly and try to undermine it uh, through the budget process, however they possibly can. They're going to do everything they can to throw rocks and sticks and stones into the machinery of government to prevent the indictment and prosecution of Donald J. Trump. I don't think they're going to be successful. In fact, I think it's going to hurt them the more that they try to do it because the American public is already and has been at a point where they believe that Donald Trump was involved in something nefarious and illegal. Most of the polling says that, that Donald Trump, most people believe he has committed a crime. They believe that he should stand before justice and have justice served. But another majority switches back when saying, do they think it will actually happen? Most don't believe that, which is a really cynical and unfortunate part of our system. Okay. Hold on one second. at okay what's going to happen next and, and i told you this was going to be a big week mcconnell wins uh uh re-nomination with 47 voting uh senators the only outstanding one is herschel walker 10 votes against him not a terribly big move mcconnell still has to his credit the old crow still has control over his caucus that's still a pretty big number and they're pretty loud members that were against them right this is Holly, Rubio, Cruz, Scott. These are pretty formidable public nemesis, but the quiet members of the Republican caucus in the Senate, those are the ones that you have to really understand are the ones that are going to put up those votes when you need them. Those are the people that are solidly solidly behind Mitch McConnell. And make no mistake about this, Donald Trump declared open war on Mitch McConnell and made it absolutely acceptable for his former staff members and people of the Republican Trump first, America first Republicans to attack Mitch McConnell. When he did that, what he was also doing was putting all the senators on notice that you're choosing between McConnell and Donald Trump. And only 10, only 10 chose Donald Trump. It's very significant. Okay, and you have to be mindful of that. You have to pay attention to that. They all, incidentally, almost all of them are the same ones. I wish I knew. Nope. 
How are you doing? Thanks for doing this every time I learn something, and I really appreciate your time and effort in putting this together. Sure. Thank you for being supportive and for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Good thing to support. Just a question. I know Ron DeSantis is getting a lot of fuel because he won at such a high margin. Yeah. Yeah. Gavin. Jared Polis, not certainly within the range of what he, DeSantis, received. Why aren't they getting the same attention, deservedly so, or at least an acknowledgement of the overwhelming support they received? Uh, on election night that we need to pay attention to. There actually was a red wave. Uh, that wave happened only in Florida. Right. right. There was also actually a blue wave. And in the Great Lakes, where Democrats dramatically overperformed the voter model. Okay. Um, there was not the same margin. If you look at California, uh, Gavin Newsom actually did call. Right. And it was, the closest, it was the closest race that we have seen in the past 15, 16 years in reality. Um, but the only variable um, with foreign adversaries would be damaging to Biden's reelection efforts. Biden's in a strong position right now. Biden's in a really strong position. And so I think you have to really reconsider whether or not um, Biden's, you know, th- this chatter about him running uh, again or not, whether that goes away. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I, I wouldn't I, I think I think he's earned. I think the president has earned the right. The, he's earned the benefit of the doubt yeah. after the 2022 outcome. He's earned the right to say and the breathing room to say whether or not he's going to run for president. He's already said that he's going to. He's in as strong a position now as he ever has been in the past two years as president. Some some of his approval ratings are hitting 50% numbers. That's a very strong position for an incumbent president to be running into. The question, I think, becomes one of whether the economy gets better or whether the economy gets weaker. Um, But my uh, my strong sense, at least at this point in time, is he's probably going to run. Now, if he does not, if he changes his mind and decides not to run for re-election, that decision is going to have to come to the yeah, no, it's fine. I, I understand. I guess I, it's, and again, I'm a novice. I'm in biotech. I have very yeah. little background knowledge as you, as much as seriously, as much as you do. Popular. Jared Polis seems to be tremendously popular. Whitmer seems to be tremendously popular. And there's no even barely a whisper about any of them. I mean, not running, but just how well they've done. Well, Whitmer certainly deserves more recognition for her, how well she did. Polis, the same thing. Gavin, not so much. And remember, I, this is an area where I was wrong. I was saying that at the end of the night, the, the governor who was probably going to win the best and have the biggest night was going to be Gavin Newsom. I thought he'd win by seven. Good night. I thought I thought Demo- Democrats would lose another ten House seats from where they're at, which actually still wouldn't have been that bad of a night for them. Right. 
Um, what happened was Democrats in the House dramatically overperformed expectations and in the Senate. And so the Democrats aren't really looking for a savior right now. That savior is, is Joe Biden. They're like, we held. We're, we're fine. We're okay. Now, I, I do want to say has overtaken the Democratic Party, which I'm very concerned about, because if you look at the data, it's it's not, I mean, it's good. It's historically, it's phenomenal. Republicans voting as voted and the margins where they're at, this race was won by Republicans defecting. And that's not a strategy that the Democrats can rely on. Look, I, maybe you can. Maybe you can run on Roe Wade forever. I, 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 maybe you can. Maybe this is a whole new era. I just don't think so. And I, if I was a party strategist advising the Democrats, I would say compare this battle to Dunkirk. This is this is this is not the Battle of Britain. This was an escape. The Democrats escaped with their lives. They. this euphoria that we're all feeling is in many ways a sigh of relief. Like I literally, I, I, I'm relieved in a way that I have. Like America's getting it. It wasn't a one-off with, you know, the 2020 elections where we we lived to fight another day. This is now an, an escape. So, um, that's, that's, I think what we're dealing with. That's that's what I think we're recognizing. Um, All right, I guess I guess my last question would yeah. be: Do you think the Dems are smart enough to retool and figure this out? <laughs> I, I will say most parties are not smart enough to figure <laughs> it out, and the reason is because, and it's not blaming the Democrats or the Republicans; they both do this. Their whole hierarchy is based on validating who they are. And so the Democrats, what the Democrats will do is they will find the data and evidence that they want to justify that they've got a mandate to continue. This was a rejection of extremism. We talked about that here. You probably only heard about here on Mike Drop, which was to say that when Republicans had but were viewed by the American people as the most extreme by plus eight, that that was going to be a definitive data point. That's clearly what the exit polling was saying. 70% of They voted for the Democrats because they knew that the Republicans are batshit crazy and will drive the country over a cliff to have a worldview that they want to impose on other people, that they don't care about the Constitution, that they don't care about the rule of law, that they don't care about the institutions that have made this country work, that they're willing to support election deniers. That's what happened, is, is voters rejected that. Republican voters, enough Republican voters rejected that to continue this. So that's kind of where we're at. Thanks. I appreciate it. I think just one correction. I think you said the Republicans were batshit crazy. I think you can change that to R. Yeah. yeah fair enough. Yes. <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that was a great question. 
Uh, Craig, my man from Arizona, the man who brought us so much um, understanding of what was happening uh, there in AZ. I'm going to bring you up into the chat right now and go ahead and unmute and let's see what you got to say. Mike, how are you, my man? Good. How are you doing, buddy? How are you feeling? You called it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, like you said, I am relieved. I feel the same exact way as you do, my friend. Tell me, tell me what uh, what what the feel is in like here in Arizona right now. You know, it's um overall, it's a good feeling, and um, you hit the nail right on the head. People out here voted against the extremism. It wasn't because the Democrats were some saviors. Um, they were just the other party. Um. Um, I, you know what, a lot of the elections, I think we got, uh, we got, we got the majority of them right out here in Arizona. We lost, I think that looks like our superintendent of schools, Kathy Hoffman is going to lose to, um, the Republican contestant. That's too bad. Cause she is a really good, uh, leader. Um, but that's the, um, and that David Schweiker, who happens to be my representative, um, it looks like he's going to win as well. I already has against it. Hodge. So other than those two races, Mike, I think we did pretty good out here in AZ. I want to thank you again for joining us, Craig, and being kind of that voice of reason throughout the course of this. You were the first to say Hobbs is in trouble, and right when you started saying that, the polls started picking up steam. And then curiously, just anecdotally, uh, you were able to basically point out that pivot point back and saying, I feel better. The air war has come in. The cavalry has come. I'm starting to see a barrage of ads for Hobbs. And I think it's going to be close, but I think we're going to move back into winning position. And brother, you were exactly right. That was, I think, one of the coolest parts of uh, being a part of this community is uh, you called it. You you nailed it. And so I want to say thanks. Hey, thank you, Mike. Um, uh, yeah, you know, in the very beginning, of the, well, not the very beginning, the first, I guess, since June, I mean, all you saw was Carrie Lake on the news and all these commercials, you know, that were just anti-Katie um, Hobbs and anti- Say right about three weeks to before the election is when we hit that pivot point, Mike, and the yeah. cavalry arrived, just as you said. And it was on a minute too soon. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, look, I got to say, I mean, there are sometimes there are campaigns get lucky and sometimes campaigns are just really methodical and smart. Uh, you know, it, winners gets to dictate uh, what the narrative is. You got to hand it to the Democratic um, Senatorial uh, Campaign Committee and Infrastructure is uh, a lot of those guys were taking a lot of flack, uh, you know, campaign guys on site. I'm sure that the guys in D.C. who were commandeering the entire campaign were getting a, a whole ration of shit from from donors and from the media and from the pundits and the talking heads. When when the Republicans started flooding the zone with these bad polls, these guys had to really say, we trust our data. We trust our process. We think and we know we're right and we're going to keep executing. or and when we walk through the crisis comms of what you do in a Herschel Walker situation. You've got to be convinced. You've got to stay focused, and you've got to keep flying that plane through heavy, heavy artillery shelling, through, through heavy fog, through dark of night. You've got to really believe in your plan. You've got to stick to it, even when some major, major things are thrown at you to shake you off. And to their credit, those Democratic pro- professionals did that. And so I'm not going to take a thing away from them. 
Um, you know, we can talk about the movement of the public attitudes. We can talk about uh, the reactions, I think, from some of the politicians. But from the professional level, um, you've got to take your hat off to a lot of these Democrats on the ground and, and in D.C. who were commandeering the operation because they did not waver and they held firm and it delivered um, a remarkable success, if not a huge pickup in seats, just a complete mitigation of what should have been a really, really bad year. Let me say one other thing too, Craig, before before you would jump in here. I hope you all see now, like if you look at the election results, how significant uh, Dobbs was. And we were talking about this, that, that Roe Wade was an earthquake. It was an absolute earthquake. It changed the, everything in the trajectory of the race. If the Supreme Court had not overturned Roe, I think you all get a sense now of how significant And that Democrat. Significantly damaging election. And the irony is, I think it was the Supreme Court of the United States that probably saved American democracy. That doesn't mean there aren't huge fights on Roe and codifying it. But what it does mean is that the timing of this court really screwed up the potential of, of Republicans making any sort of advances in the Mike, I couldn't agree with you more, especially out here. You know, everybody that I talk to, um, you know, just kind of gauging the feel of the electorate out here, you know, guys that I play golf with, you know, you know, some of them I knew well, some of them just getting to know better. And, you know, the, after that road decision came out, they, you know, that's when everybody started shifting their attitude, you know, like, hey, you know what, I'm not a big uh Democrat by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure as hell not voting for any of this batshit crazy. Right. Yeah. There, there you go. I mean, that's the anecdotal stuff that I think that in a nutshell, Craig, explained the, the whole campaign. I think that's, that's where that's what, that's the story of 2022. That was it right there. Yeah. And um, I mean, we won by, the, you know, another slim margin and, you know, I agree with you. Like, as you said in your show last week, that, the, you know, the margin should have been a little wider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Guys, I want you to, I want you to feel relieved. I want you to feel happy, but I don't want you doing a whole lot of victory dances because when we get this data in, in the next few days, it's going to scare the crap out of us on how thin these margins were. The Hispanic vote, uh, you're still seeing this rightward shift. It's not huge, but it's measurable. It's there. The margins in Hispanic districts shrunk. Um, the you know the, the more Republicans voted again than Democrats. Like I said, more older people showed up, more white people showed up. There's there's a a the, the good news is demographically. That's that, like I said, this is a foot race against time. Time is our ally. But we need it, you know, the, the more it moves along, the stronger the Democratic coalition is going to get. Okay. That's really important to understand. But in the interim, a race like this 2022 race was extremely important to hold the line. And I. It's not like you just got drunk in your college dorm room and you can puke it all out and and and, it, and Trumpism's gone. And that's not the way.
I think we're fighting for our values. Our young people are fighting for what they value right now. And that's very different than my generation. I mean, to be honest with you, like, you know, I wasn't in college and Roe Wade was overturned. Like there's a whole generation of Americans where that happened. Those values are going to last them their lifetime. Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. Yeah. And if you look at like the numbers coming out of ASU, I think they had almost 10,000 voters from the ASU campus this year. And they broke 98% for Democrats or something crazy like that? Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like overwhelming numbers, like high 90s. And that's that's the future. That's what we're fighting for. It's up to us of those older generations of more resources and means that can contribute to campaigns or those of us that can volunteer for campaigns or those that are active. Our job is to fight to allow them to allow math and allow demography to do what it does. So that's what we need to be focused on. But congratulations. Well, I, you know, congratulations to all of us. I mean, it's, 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 it's a relief. I feel relieved. It is a relief. Yeah. Did that already happen? Was that announced? You know, I, I think the Dodgers have to retool. They just do. I'm a big Bellinger fan. When I first saw that swing when he was in AAA, I just I, I cried tears of joy because I've never seen such a monstrous swing in my entire life. We had a good year out of him, but, I mean, it's been two years. Good thing is the Dodgers they can they can you know have him leave and and still do well without him. There's no doubt about that. The Dodgers have so much depth to that roster; it's just absolutely incredible. We can't um, we can't make it work in October, but here's for hoping for next year. <laughs> hey, you got one more not this, not the, this season, but the season before. Yeah, well, I don't feel too bad for you. I'm a Cubs fan, Mike. <laughs> well, I love the Cubbies too. The Cubs are America's team. You always got to love the Cubbies, no matter what. So. Thank yeah, you, Craig, for being such a great, great resource for us here on Mike Drop. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us the insight on Arizona. I don't think we're done with Arizona. There's probably going to be a lot more to discuss in the coming days and weeks, and I hope you'll join us, buddy. Yeah, I absolutely will. And one thing I do um, keep an eye on, Mike, is that the exit polls had the Latinos going about 60-40 for the Democrats, which is about 10% you know, lower than that threshold that you'd mentioned. So. Yeah, so and you know what? I hard data out there. Yeah, I got into kind of a Twitter fight with Congressman Ruben Gallegos, who kind of came at me and said, "You're wrong on this." And I said, "Well, actually, I predicted 30 percent for Arizona. The exits say 40 percent. It's a yep. data point. I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. I think I, I, I think the exits may have been wrong in Arizona. I could be. I, I don't want to speculate too much, um, but it may have been closer to 30 percent. I I, 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 I don't want to speculate because I'm looking at the math, saying how did how did Arizona turn out the way that it did if Hispanics were at 40%, even with Republicans moving towards Democrats 11%, the math is a little bit screwy. It's probably somewhere in between, and, and let's see if me and, me and uh, Congressman Gallegos continue our Twitter, Twitter spat about the data when the actual precinct numbers come in. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to be kind to the congressman, but I, I don't think he's an expert on polling, um, but we'll see. He may, he may be right. Well, I, I think that where the the math comes into play, Mike, is I think the independents broke heavily for the Democrats yeah. this year. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. that's where. The and there's a lot was. of indies. Yeah, a lot of independents in Arizona. There's more uh, uh, registered independents than there is Democrats or Republicans. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's just the Arizona way. <laughs> that is the Arizona way, brother. Hey, you Craig, thank you we'll so much, soon. man. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, Melissa.
You're in the queue. You're up now. Go ahead and unmute and let's have that question. You can hear. Okay. I have two questions and then I'm going to let you speak. I want to know what you think about Josh okay. Shapiro. And I would also like your, your kind of out of the gate thoughts, you know, Ron DeSantis did really well in Florida, but how does he translate that kind of conduct to the rest of the country? I don't know. I mean, he kind of creeps me out just like Trump does. Maybe even more so because he's smart and a little bit more scary. Would like to know what you think. Yeah, so Shapiro, I mean, obviously big win there. Um, I, I believe, and I shared with you guys, I believe that uh, Pennsylvania is fundamentally a blue state. I believe that 2016 was an aberration. Um, and I, I think that that is bearing out. Like I said, I mean, it, it is kind of remarkable, guys, that the Fetterman Oz race was called election night. Like that, I was surprised by. I thought it would go a week. They called it that night. Like the, the blue wall of the Rust Belt and the Great Lakes states seems to be being rebuilt. There seems to be a coming back into line of those states that constituted sort of the Obama blue wall. Um, Fetterman did better in a lot of the rurals. Uh, and and then then most then most of the early polling was showing. Um, Shapiro, of course, overperformed those. I think he's a great candidate. I don't want to speculate on where he's going for the future. I think Pennsylvania becomes a really really critical state, especially as Republicans have built infrastructure to try to steal votes there in Philadelphia. Um, it was what I was most concerned about in 2020. I was deeply concerned about it this year. But um, they seem to have gotten it right. I just, I mean, I'm a big, big, big fan of his. Um, I, I don't want to speculate too much on what, what national ambitions are, guys, because I really don't think Biden's going anywhere. So that takes us to DeSantis. Like I said, um, look, DeSantis is real. He, he is. Whether you like him or not, he's real. And he's got an appeal uh, to the Republican base nationally. Uh, he was the big winner for the Republicans by a wide margin, right? The polling average had him at a plus 13 position. He won by like 18, 19 points. I mean, he blew it out of the park. And he, he, he didn't just win with Cubans and Venezuelans, which he did commandingly. He was winning with Puerto Ricans. He won with Mexicans. Like it's, it's pretty deep. And, and it's got to give you people at least pause. That narrative, he owns that. But I really am not convinced he's going to run this year. I could be wrong. I mean, who the hell? Who's Mike Madrid? It's up to him and his wife and his family and what they're actually going to do. I think he wants to be president of the United States, but I also think he knows he's a young man. Uh, and, and, and not only that, but fighting uh, Donald Trump could scar him for the rest of his career. Like he could destroy the rest of his career. Why not just let Trump sink on his own weight, step out of the damn thing, go govern Florida, go do a good job and be the best positioned candidate for the 2028 cycle. Still, like, why wouldn't you do that? Still, he went and campaigned for all of these Trump back candidates and it didn't do anything. Yeah, well, he's a... You know, he didn't... He went with Terry yeah. Lake. He went with... I mean, he didn't do what I think he thought he was going to do. Okay. 
nationally. That's what I'm really cautioning Democrats about. It's it's the Democrats didn't win. They just didn't lose. lose. (laughs) That's the way to look at it. Okay, and that's good because the expectations were they were going to get blown out and they didn't. And that that's a victory. But don't read any more into it than that. Like breathe and exhale and enjoy it for the moment. But recognize that in a few months, Nancy Pelosi is going to hand the gavel to Kevin McCarthy and things are going to change a little bit. I think the yeah. I think the Democrats are in a good position, but they're in a far better position than they should be, given everything that went on. Far better. Really Skating not. on really thin ice, and if the Demo- the Democrats really need to learn the lesson here that they're they didn't turn out the the folks that they needed to turn out. They got the break amongst young people that they needed, but that was not what saved this election. The young people did not save democracy. 27% of the electorate was young, was Gen Z. It's lower than 2020, lower than 2018. So, I mean, come on. Come on. It's good. It's good what you did. You were a great coalition ally and group member, but let's not pretend like something has fundamentally changed because. And this is a really good argument, not only of these four to ten percent of Republicans leaving the Republican Party, white college educated Republican women saying, you know what, screw it. These guys are nuts. I'm out. I'm out. I'm checked out. I voted for Democrats twice in the last three elections. I think I might be a Democrat. I think that's a real that's a very real realignment that could be happening. And it's like, you know what? The Republicans are saying, I'll trade you 4 to 10% of our white Republican women Democrats, and you give me 7 to 10% of your Hispanics. Mm. That's what's happening. That shift is what's happening. And that, if that's the case for the next three or four elections. Well, well the thing is, is that, and this is the last, I was always on the feeling that Maybe this was a good time for Kevin McCarthy to get the gavel because the way this is going to go, I. Yeah, well, that, I mean, look, I, yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. I said, I said in the summer, I, I said here on the summer a number of times on the show, the best thing that could happen for, for Democrats and for Joe Biden is if the Republicans take the majority of the House. Extreme things. And the party that's viewed as extreme is the party that voters are going to vote against. People vote against things. They don't vote for them. And so Hawthorne, him losing helped Republicans. The Democrats wanted Madison Cawthorn in that caucus because the guy's an idiot. They want Lauren Boebert in that caucus because she's an idiot. They want Marjorie Taylor Greene in that caucus because they're idiots. They are framing the imagery of all of those suburban contestable districts in a way that overwhelmingly
for that. Let the crazy out. Give the crazy a microphone. Put the crazy on stage. Mm -hmm. Give the crazy a neon sign and point everybody's vision at the crazy and say, that's what the Republicans are. And when that happens, when they set the frame, it starts to bring down the support levels, especially amongst college-educated voters. That was the collapse. We were like at an eight or nine, which was really, really good numbers. I was proud of us. More Republicans last Tuesday, two points at least, maybe more. And what that mm -hmm. means is there may be a realignment of college-educated voters. They're still registered Republicans, but they're realizing, you know what? I'm not voting for the Republicans anymore. The Republican Party's changed. I didn't change. They changed. They're just freaking nuts. And that's what portends a realignment. That's what's happening with Hispanics in the Rio Grande Valley. Wow. Look at the Democrats going, y'all are crazy. Latinx, defunding the police, open border policies. What the hell is this? That's what's happening. And so that shift is basically the Republicans saying, we'll trade you our white college educated suburban moms, but you get... I got to run. I got eight, four people in the queue. Gotcha. Thank you. Got it. No problem. Andy. Hey, bud. Um, so what are your thoughts if, um, if, if uh, Mr. Low Energy doesn't get the nomination? Will he go, uh, will he go third party? <laughs> yeah. That yeah. I mean, depending on how bad his legal situation is, I don't know if he runs from prison or not. I mean, he's not going to be in prison. <laughs> he's not going to be in prison within you know, six, eight months. There's yeah. going to be trial. There's going to be legal problems. I think as long as, even if it's a 1% possibility that, that it could give him some sort of leverage in the process, you have to understand Donald Trump, for Donald Trump, irrelevancy is a the focus and he is in his own world and he needs the sycophants around him supporting that um he he, he look if you think he's going to go away quietly from the republican party i would just point you to january 6 where he was willing to foment an insurrection stay where he was at of course he'll do that for the republican party what the hell does he care about the republican party that's the least of his concerns and the worst thing that could happen to him is a Democrat is a Republican win beats him in the nomination process, and then becomes president after him. Like what what becomes of Donald Trump? I mean, he'll just self immolate. Um, so he's <laughs> he's not going to allow that. He just he he can't. He like literally isn't constituted for that. So I don't know if that's helpful or if it's not helpful, but that's that's kind of the way um, way I see it with Donald Trump. I think that's where we're heading. And again, like I said. If, if he had given a halfway decent speech, I would have said, you know, with with hundred percent certainty, there's no way DeSantis. Trump presented. Everyone's got to be looking at this race and going, hmm, hmm. You know, this guy's not gonna. This guy's not gonna get past his legal. Um, he, he's in trouble. 
And I, I think I think he is. But like I said, I mean, this guy's been counted out a million times before. I got to be mindful yeah. of that. This is not over, right? Like Trump being weakened does not mean it's the end of him. No, 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 no. Don't, no, no yeah. never under, never underestimate someone who's prepared to fight to the death. Never and ever. he is. Like I said, he, he, he's got, I mean, he, he will, I, I, he will go to the very bitter end. Yep. Um, did, did you notice some of those people trying to leave during his speech and they were, they weren't, they weren't yeah, allowed yeah. to leave? That was, yeah. that was pretty, pretty, pretty funny, man. That's his strongest supporters. I mean, that's like the, the, the insane asylum was like all around. Rusted on. Yeah. They, they uh, needed to go. They weren't even allowed to go to the bathroom. And a lot of these people were just pushing for the exit. So the speech was so bad. They're like, we're done. Let's go back to the bar. This is horrible. Yeah. And they wouldn't and, let um, him out. Yeah, in uh, in North Carolina, um, I saw some interesting numbers. It looks like the youth vote was pretty split there. Is that um, is, is that, that right? Is, is that is is that is it is it the way the New South's giving the giving the middle finger to the rest of America, or what's the deal there? I haven't seen that. That's fascinating data. You got to point me to that, or I'll go I'll go take a look at it after the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought that was sort of the next one that was going to sort of become really really competitive, and it sort of you know moved there a couple of points the other way. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk to Renee and see what Renee says. She's in the Q2. She's our North Carolina expert, but I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that wouldn't – I mean, look, guys, I, I, I mean, the, the, any time a political party relies on the youth vote, this does, I'm not, I'm not de- denigrating young people of today. This goes back to the Vietnam War when we allowed 18-year-olds ever, ever been a big part of the voter model ever since, and that was in the 70s. So – like you, you can't cast your future and reliance on young voters. You just cannot do that. And I, you know, that that I, that partisan break kind of frightens me, but it kind of doesn't surprise me. But I mean, fifty-fifty is a. I mean, that's. I mean, we don't even see that in most instances in a normal, quote unquote, normal year. So I, I'm going to take a look at it. But look, there's going to be a lot of dissecting on the youth vote because there's they've they've heightened so much of the narrative around that. That all the data nerds like me and and you know the other other folks are already looking at it and saying, uh, this this doesn't add up. Like the hype that you built up just doesn't add up. Remember in two thousand eight there was this huge youth thing. Oh, Obama, all the young people came out. Blah blah blah. There was no there was no increase in the youth vote for Obama in two thousand eight. There wasn't. Um, and that you know that's just data. That's just numbers. And like I said. There's so much hype and, and bullshit narrative from both sides. I mean, that's just <laughs> politics to, to try to command the narrative and say, oh, Latinos, there was a brown wall that saved the Democratic coalition. Oh, young people, there was a youth quake. Blah, blah, blah. This is what happened. So look at the data and go, no, actually, there were more white, old Republican voters than anybody else. You know, let's look at let's wait till the data comes in. Let's take a look at this. California had a, it looks like a really low turnout. Um, in this yeah, kind of a year, that. that's that's fascinating too. Like that's that's a sign. That's a data point. Low turnout is a sign of something. We've got to pay attention to these things. Thanks, buddy. Always appreciate having your questions, man. Uh, hope you're well. Uh, we're gonna take a quick moment to just say, if you can, do me a favor. We're gonna go for a while. I think we the invite uh, that that went out was five thirty Pacific. Uh, 8.30 Eastern, my fault. We started a little half an hour early, so some of our guests and attendees uh, joined uh, in the middle of this. There's no problem. Well, I'm going to post this. You can hear uh, the beginning of it later. That's the beauty of the call-in show. Uh, if you could, do us a big favor here. If you're a new mic dropper, add uh, that little invite at the bottom, that person with the plus. If you could hit that button, 
kick it out on Twitter or any social media that you use and share the fact that you're a part of this discussion. It helps us build the audience, sometimes bring in some hackers as we dealt with earlier today. But if you could, that would be really helpful uh, to continue the discussion, build the audience, and kind of make sure that we're um, uh, getting as much of, of a range of perspectives as we possibly can because it's one thing I really like, it's range. So, Peggy. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Good. You, you, know, you worked really... You worked very hard this election cycle, so I'm hoping you 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 reap some of the fruits and the enjoyment and relief of that. Especially after Arizona was decided. Yeah. Well, so it's yeah. a relief. It's not a victory dance, but it is a relief. Yeah. I mean, there, look, there's a, so, there's a, there's victory. I mean, it's a win. Take the win. Yeah, I'm not. Sure. I, don't, I don't want to take that from anybody. But what I also do want to say is, you know, stay vigilant. This was not a mandate. This was a this was an escape valve. And there's there's, I feel better than I did after 2020. So I don't want to take that away from anybody. I'm just trying to be the realist and saying there's a lot of work to be done here. So, sorry. Well, absolutely. And being a New Yorker, we we damn sure have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yes. One of those is in my district. And that's, oh. remember, remember me saying a few weeks ago that the MAGA Republicans were popping up all over around? That's, yeah. You, you called it. You saw it. I did. So uh, two things. One thing, I wonder how much the negative McCain stuff coming out of the late campaign had an effect on voters. You know, I wish uh, Craig was fielding that question. I will say Lincoln Project in Arizona because I believe uh, the fundamentals have been shifting in that state for the last few election cycles. Um, McCain has a the attacks on McCain, although I think that had something to do with it. It's really more the legacy of, of the states. Arizona, in many ways, you know, Texas has this, you know, no offense to any Texans, but maybe a little bit of offense to Texans. I mean, people, Texans love Texas, right? Nobody else does, but Texans love Texas. Arizona is a little bit unique in that they, they really hold out individuals And um, they take a pride in that. And so I think when you're attacking John McCain, you're kind of attacking Arizona. Like he's, he's a favorite son. You may not like his politics. You may, you may be trying to you know, move beyond that. But he's an Arizonan. And, and I, look, I think when I saw those numbers, when I saw those precincts in Maricopa County coming in, these are precincts I know really well because I spent a lot of time, did a lot of data work. You know, my eyeballs dropping out, you know, staring at a screen for hours. As I knew if Biden could win Arizona, then then the 270 map got really difficult. Um, there, there was no, you know. Uh, a little bit on North Carolina. Um, but really, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona was the key. Uh, that was that was a roadmap. I'm looking at these precincts and looking at the production that Carrie Lake was getting districts that she should have getting 58 percent. 
big numbers out of these parts of Arizona and uh, not just Arizona, but Maricopa County specifically. She needed to do really well in Scottsdale. She needed to pull out strong numbers in Mesa. She, she, she needed to at least tighten the gap in Tempe. I mean, she was going to lose ASU, which she did commandingly, but you know that as a Republican, you've got to mitigate with some of those Tempe suburbs. You can't just let those things run. And so when, when she wasn't getting that production, um, that was when I knew, okay, she's, she, she's three or four more vote drops and, and, and she's done. They'll call this. She's not, she's not going to get there. I, I was saying that in 2020, right? Pretty. It will be North Carolina. You know, we're going to talk to Renee, I think, next in the queue. But that to me, that's if I if there's one thing you want to do to 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 win 2024, Get involved in North Carolina right now, because if you if pull North Carolina off the 270 map, it's going to get really tough for whoever the Republican nominee is. It just is. You should be in Nevada and in North Carolina. North Nevada got tighter than it should. Cortez Masto, I still can't say her name right, um, you know, did exactly the same as she did six years ago with Latinos and, 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 and won by a smaller margin. That, that's not, it's not great in a good Democratic year. That You just can't be doing a victory dance about that. You need to be like, wow, we dodged a really big bullet. How do we fix that starting right now? So, again, I think, I think it's a game of margins. The, the, the 270 map, Ohio's gone. Florida's gone. Focus on Arizona, which I think got a little bit easier, but you have to invest big there. You have to invest in Georgia. You have to go into North Carolina, and you have to go into Nevada. If the Democrats can solidify those four states, I don't see how uh, the Republicans get there in 2024, and I would start tomorrow. Okay. Can I talk a little bit about hope and history, the age of acrimony? Yeah. A book recommendation we put out there. Yeah. So before you put that recommendation out and because you were talking about so hopeful and we're going to be better off. Yeah. I did some research on my own and I was about that. And I was like, you know, the 60s was so it was a tumult. And I got this great history book and it's first person accounts and it's laid out so perfectly called Witness to the Revolution. Mm. And three quarters of that stuff that went on, I didn't know about. And I grew up in that time frame, but I can certainly see. And I'm halfway through it. It, it. It's a great work by uh, Clara Bingham. And I, I totally recommend it. But I can totally see, like, after all of that, mm-hmm. how we came out. Yeah. So that it, is giving me hope. And when I get done with this, I'm going to pick up the age of acrimony. And she actually, in this book, referenced that time frame at one point. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick up the book that you're talking about because it's important. And I think it's important for all of us to understand when we're going through these extraordinary difficult <laughs> times that we do have a sense and be able to put it in a historical perspective that this country has been through very, very, very trying times before. 
And we have to remember the period between 1989 and, you know, May of 1989, hmm. when the wall fell. Oh, sorry, somebody correct me. I'm sure somebody will. We've got a smart group here. And um, February of 2022 this year, that that is the era. had that kind of peacetime in our history with the exception of maybe one or two other epochs. And, and that's important because we got, we got fat and lazy and, and we got, you know, when you live in abundance, continual abundance, it's, it's hard to remember what life and scarcity is like. And you start to lose some of the, 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 the reverence. you have so many people who believe that wearing a mask is tyranny. Right. Uh, I mean, what the hell is wrong with our character when we believe that that's like, that's, that's government overreach. Like I went, when I went to Ukraine in May, there were people in bomb shelters wearing masks because, because you protected yourself from COVID even in, even when your homes are being shelled. And like, and, and I remember distinctly being in a hotel in Kiev and looking at, at the TV set. Uh, with with these bartenders and and the, 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 these trucker convoys are circling Washington D.C. on CNN, and he was like, "What what's happening in the United States?" And I was like, I'm "Right." Testing, and and that's 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 a country that has lost. It's moorings in so many ways. It's lost what its understanding is of fighting for its belief. Ukrainians are fighting and shedding blood and dying, but but forging, they are forging a nation. We're fighting. We're going to win. And I've always said we're going to win. us a better people is because when you you start to believe that wearing a mask is tyranny and you drive in a trucker convoy because you don't you know you don't have you, you haven't fought right right anyway so i'll put when you post the link up later on to the, the mic drop i'll Drop this in the uh, comment section, the book, and I'm halfway I'm through. Forward it, is to full. It. it is full. It is every viewpoint um, from the people who were there, the veterans, the, just the, the just. I, I. It's full. It's full. It covers everything. Everything. That's fantastic. Nothing I'm looking forward there. to it. Yeah, real quick before we go to Renee and Renee, I'll pop you into the queue right now. But let me uh, one real, another real quick soliloquy. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of George Skelton. For those of you who are Californians, you may know him a little better. He, he's considered the dean of the press corps in California. He's been a columnist for the LA Times going back to the 60s covering uh, politics. He's still writing today. Very old man, uh, has become a, a dear friend. He's just a genius uh, because he's an encyclopedia of political behavior. And I asked him um, during the, the Lincoln Project campaign, uh, he said, 
yeah, you know, my 68 was worse. Uh, he said, I was, I was following Reagan on the campaign trail, meaning when Reagan was running for governor of California. <laughs> so it's old school. Dude goes back. And he was saying, you know, um, I remember being on the campus at UC Riverside and the student protests had blown out all of the windows and were lighting things on fire, protest of Reagan showing up. And he said, lost Bobby Kennedy. Um, the Vietnam War was raging. You know, 50,000 Americans, you know, died and uh, there was a draft. And Black Lives Matter movement happening because of the George Floyd murder. We've got a president who's really rattling the, the underpinnings of democracy. But, you know, if I, had to, if I had to say which time was worse, he said it was 68. And that, that made me realize, you know, We've, we've been through some real shit before as a country, guys. We just have. And you, you, we, just, we just have to remain vigilant and, and be proud of the fight. We have to be worthy of the moment. You've got to be proud of fighting because fighting tells you what you believe and prioritizes as a people, as an individual, as a person. And, of course, we're going to win. You win only if you fight. But the That's why we do this is because it matters. And, 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 and like I said, I, I believe, and I want everybody to take a quick moment and look back at the arc from 2016, how tough this fight has been. I feel better at this moment than I have felt in the past six years. I do. I, I didn't expect. That's how you forge character. It's, it's the way you live. It's what you fight for and believe in. We just got really sort of fat and happy in, 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 the, in the Cold War era when, when, when America was this global hegemon. And we, we forgot what dictatorship looked like. Um, anyway, I don't want to go on too much of a diatribe because I'm sure we've got some good North Carolina um, information coming from Renee. If anybody wants to jump into the queue, jump in. We're going to keep going for a little bit here tonight, guys. So we've got a big group that people are sticking around. It's a fantastic discussion. Jump into the queue. I've got Lance next and Katie, but 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 jump in, guys. And if you don't mind waiting, uh, as long as my voice holds up, we'll, we'll keep going. So Renee, talk to us. What do you ascribe it to?
Trainer's awesome. Just a, a data nerd, but a hack, and and he's he's he'll be a great guest, and I'm sure he'd love to do it. But that's another person that we could have on on too. But these are the types of stuff that I mean. You guys tell me what you guys want the show to be too. Okay, that's important. It's like. Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely taking uh, this to heart. We will have uh, some data guys on in the first quarter of the year. But, you know, just send me messages. Let me know what you guys want the show to be. You're not hurting my feelings if you guys want more guests on whatever topic you want. If you want female pollsters, women pollsters, love to do that. We've got three or four, you know, for Slinda Lake and 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 others. I, I, I'm a huge advocate of of women specifically in the research part of this industry. There just are not enough. Um, um, or, you know, um, specialists in the black community or, or, you know, uh, Republicans, you, you guys want to talk to Republican consultants and just kind of, you know, listen to the other side. Um, I can get Republican consultants on here. Just got to be kind, you know, I mean, they can take care of themselves. We're not, we're not, we're not a, a, a an easily scared bunch, but if you, if you want to talk to Republicans who've done Republican races, I'm, I'm more than happy to have, um, Republicans, I don't know a ton of them. I think who would love to kind of want to come on and talk uh, to this audience and just tell you how they think and what they approach. And and uh, if you would find that a value, then then let's do that. If not, then we won't. <laughs> don't want to, you know. But yeah, uh, Kevin, I, I hear you. Sorry, I don't mean to be droning on, but yeah, I, I I will bring on a data scientist. I'm I'll try to get Tranter or or Tom to come on. I think it'd be great. All right, Kevin. Thanks for your patience and and waiting in the queue uh, for for so long, um, Jen. Go on, let's keep going. Just jumping in with questions. But Jen, what you got? Oh yeah, no, I love it. And th- thanks for being patient. Rat. Um, they actually do work. I mean, they work nominally, right? But I, I do want to be, I do want to be, um, I don't want to say that stuff doesn't work because I, I, I it's, it's kind of like 